Hey, Spooksters, it's Tara and Jessica. Hey! We wanted to jump on real quick before this episode started. This topic we are covering this week is super jam-packed with tons and tons of info. Our recording actually went a lot longer than we thought it would. So we are breaking this up into two parts. So you will get part one with me today and my story I have for you guys. And then tomorrow you will get a bonus episode with part two of our topic that we have. So we just kind of wanted to give you guys a heads up and we hope you enjoy it. Warning. This podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. Hey, Spooksters! Welcome back to another episode of Three Spooked Girls. As always, I am joined by the wonderful Tara. Hey, Spooksters! And of course, this is Jessica. Don't think I need to introduce <laughs> myself, but if you're new, hi, I'm Jessica. Yes, I waved. <laughs> if anyone's wondering. We are coming at you today with a very fun episode. We're doing a true crime episode about jaded lovers. Yeah! Because we're going with that whole love theme in February and not just a love theme it's a twisted love theme so yes super super excited and we have a fun new announcement for you guys we are going to start doing a little bit more true crime with our paranormal so expect to see a lot more coming down the pipeline tara and i are recording a lot more so we're excited to be able to give you guys much more content so exciting and i'm clapping i don't know if you'll be able to hear it or not but i was (laughs) tara and i do these things like we wave hi to like we're saying hi to you, but we wave hi to each other. I don't know. We're weird. <laughs> but you love us. So it's okay. That's true. And let's do some business and then we'll talk about drinks. So as always, go check us out on our social accounts. It's linked in the link tree. Did I get that right, Tara? It's called yes. a link tree. Yes. Uh huh. In the show notes so that you can find our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, merch store. Patreon. Yeah, all that stuff. Glad you mentioned Patreon. We just put up in our Patreon Uh, Once we hit a certain number of patrons, we are going to start a private Facebook group for them, which is exciting. Tara's nodding, but not not agreeing. (laughs) No, like because you looked at me like, is that right? I'm like, yeah, I was like, no, like you were supposed to. I thought you were just nodding because you're like, yeah, that's what we're doing. (laughs) Out loud activity. (laughs) Sorry. Yes, it's going to be super cool because we want to start doing a little bit more than all the swag and bonus episodes and stuff. We're thinking we're going to have some extra lives and all that good stuff. So once we hit that number, we'll set that up and we will invite you guys or we'll post a link in a patron only post and you can go join that. Definitely. I'm excited about that. It's going to be a really fun page and you can join for a little as a dollar. Yes. Yep. All patrons will be able to access that Facebook group too. Which is exciting. Yes. And then as always, check out our merch store. And what are you drinking today, Tara? Well, since in real time, yesterday was our Killer Trace live. I still have that wine. So if you tuned in, you already know what I'm drinking. If not, I have a Robert Mondavi wine. It is a heritage red blend and it's really, really tasty. And what drink do we have for this week, Jessica? 
Ooh, and since we're talking about jaded lovers, and I searched high and low, and I found this really pretty one. It's called Lover's Leap, which, mm. you know, if you're jaded, and obviously this is true crime, so there's a little bit of murder involved, you have to take a leap. So mm. it's made with bourbon, Campari, rosé, pineapple juice, and lime juice. Once again, it'll be up tomorrow on our Facebook, Instagram, all that jazz for you to be able to go and check out. Yeah, anything with rosé I'm down for. I actually bought, and this will probably, I'll probably drink this for the next episode we record. I finally bought my very first boxed wine. Because, <gasps> yeah, what? I know, I know. I don't know if this is new. This is new to me because I've never seen them. Apparently, Barefoot does box wines now. Oh, and, I didn't know that. Yeah, so, okay, so cool. I'm not like <laughs> under a rock, so it must be new. It's equivalent to four bottles of wine. And it was under 20 bucks. That's awesome. Yeah. So I got a rosé one and I'm super excited to try it. I always get very sketched out if there's, if I can buy four wines under $20. Right. I know. That's what I said. But Matt brought up a good point. He said maybe like it's so cheap because, you know, you're not paying for like the cost of the glass. Oh, I don't know. I'm excited to try it. So that's going to be my first box wine. (laughs) I'm excited for you. Yeah. We are coming at you with two true crime cases. They're both jaded lovers and they just happen to be women and they're women scorned and murdered for it. So I'm going to have Tara tell us hers first and then we'll dive into mine a little later. Yes. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and grab your drink and have a motherfucking seat. This case is just holy shit. (laughs) <laughs> I was like, she's been texting me about it all week and I'm like don't look at any of the articles because I like to hear about it firsthand with you guys yeah yeah so this one is going to be the Sandra Melgar case and a lot of people I know that I talk true crime with either haven't heard about it or heard very little about it it happened it's kind of more it's kind of recent i guess it was in 2011 but i'm going to go ahead and tell you a little bit of a background about miss sandra and her husband who i'm sure you can guess ended up murdered and we'll go ahead and dive in with these guys that's over here she murdered someone <laughs> <laughs> right okay so Sandra, a.k.a. Sandy, and that's what her friends and family call her, so that's the name I'm going to refer to her as. And then her husband, Jaime Melgar, goes by Jim. So just kind of letting you know that, kind of keep things straight in case you're like, who's this? Who's that? So yeah, Sandy and Jim are the couple. So Sandy and Jim were considered a picture-perfect couple. They, of course, right? I see Jessica being like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They were high school sweethearts. They met their senior year. Sandy had been the new girl. She just moved to town when she was 17 from a different area. This is in Texas, by the way. I don't think I mentioned that. So there you go. I'm glad neither of our cases are in states we live in. Right? No. Well, mine is kind of, but yeah. You'll be all right. They began dating, like I said, during their senior year. And then two years after they graduated, they got married. That's young. Yes. They went to college, they did their thing, and Jim became an IT specialist for one of the local school districts where they lived, and Sandy was a vocational nurse. Okay. So, yeah. So they had, you know, steady good jobs. They had one child, and her name was Liz, or is Liz. She's still alive, and she's like her mid-30s now. By everyone they knew, they were described as a very close-knit and very loving family. 
They were solid on every single aspect of their life. They were loving and they were caring, whether it was like, you know, out in the public eye, because of course, you know, as bad as it sounds, that's when people kind of put their best foot forward. But even even behind closed doors, because they actually had a I'm not sure if she was a niece or a cousin. One of their younger family members ended up living with them for a few years to kind of get back on her feet. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, she said, sure, they'd have disagreements like any other couple, but there was never any yelling, no disrespect of any kind with them and absolutely no abuse of any kind either. They were both very mild mannered people. Hmm. Yeah. I would say they do say that the quiet ones you have to look out for. Right. I know. So they were also part of a very strict sect, I guess that's what it's called, under Jehovah's Witnesses, Ooh. Like, under that religion. And they were super involved in their church. Jim actually had became an elder as he got older. Wow. Yeah. Our, our cases are like kind of mirroring <laughs> each other a little bit. <laughs> Uh, They were very stable financially and super well-traveled when they both came from poor backgrounds. So once they had Liz, once she was, you know, a bit older, they took trips all the time just to kind of, you know, introduce her to different parts of the world, different cultures. And Jim was actually from Guatemala. He moved to the U.S. when he was three. So he wanted her to learn about where he came from and, you know, their family's heritage and stuff like that. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So they did a lot of stuff like that. And, you know, Liz... Same thing, like, you know, they were always so happy. She never saw her parents argue or fight or anything like that. So relatively normal childhood. And so later on, Sandy had a lot of health issues that started to kind of develop and get worse. She suffered from lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, epilepsy, which also, you know, includes seizures, hypothyroidism, and had, I think, two uh, hip replacements as well. Oh, damn. Yeah, a lot of stuff. And because of that, she relied on her family for help with almost everything. And from what everyone said, Jim took on that role as her caretaker very proudly. He had done the same thing with his mother before she died. So it was just like second nature. And, you know, it's his wife. Mm -hmm. So, of course, because of all of her health issues, she had to retire early as a nurse. So she couldn't work like that anymore. But that didn't really mess up anything for them. They actually started up a medical billing and coding business. So, yeah, so I'm assuming to work at home and then they kind of dabbled in real estate. So they managed a couple properties and things like that. Okay. At this point in 2012, they were in their 50s. So they were getting ready for to kind of start turn a new leaf, essentially. Jim was about five months out from retiring with the school for his job. And they were going to, I think, sell their home. I'm not quite sure, but they were thinking of moving or just getting like a vacation home somewhere else so they could travel and, you know, spend time together and enjoy having so much more free time. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Now that there's a little background, we're going to go ahead and jump into the night of the murder. So basically everything I'm going to go ahead and tell you about the night of the murder is based off of Sandy's account of what happened because, of course, it was just her and Jim. It was December 22nd, 2012. They had decided to have a belated celebration of their 32nd wedding anniversary. Their actual anniversary was December 12th, but Sandy had been extremely sick so that, you know, she didn't want to go out or anything. She didn't have the energy. So they decided to postpone it. And then they went out this night. They had went out to a local Mexican restaurant that they go to a lot, and it was called Cucos. And after this, they decided to go ahead and take a pit stop at CVS because they needed to pick up some drink mixers, and then they were going to continue the party at home. Mm. Yeah, so (laughs) 
Everyone knows what that means. We're all adults. Come on now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you better get really comfortable with awkward conversation Mm -hmm. today. Yeah. So Jim ran inside to the CVS and he grabbed Sprite and Coke. And then as soon as he was done, they headed home. Once they got back to their house, you know, they went inside and all that. And I just want to note, they do, they lived in a safe area. They obviously were well off. So they lived in like a nice suburban neighborhood, super quiet. Nothing happened. Occasionally a car would get broken into, but nothing crazy. Mm, That's good. Yeah. So of course, you know, anniversary night, wink, wink. According to Sandy, they had went upstairs. They had a jacuzzi tub in their master suite bathroom. So she said they spent a few hours in there. Ooh, ew. Do what the thing. <laughs> it's like both sweet and sad and like you're like, no, I don't want to think about it. Right. They're my mom's age. Yeah. <laughs> but eventually it was about, see, okay, I'm going to pause real quick. I'm going to stick with saying certain times, but her story does change. Hmm. So the times aren't always going to be accurate. So that's why. Just Got it. things accurate as far as what she said and reported and all that good stuff. So like I said, they spent a few hours doing their thing. And eventually it was about midnight or so. She said they heard their two dogs that they had going crazy, just like barking, being loud, things like that. And since it was so late at night, Jim decided to go and see what the hell was the deal. Like, what's going on with my dogs? Why are they freaking out? You know, of course, since it should have only been a minute or two, Sandy was like, I'll just stay in the tub. I'll wait for him, whatever. And then they'll Wait, they're still in the tub. <laughs> they're still in the tub at this point. Oh, uh-huh. I thought they were like, you know, had gone to bed. Uh-huh. N- nope, nope, not according to her. Anyway, so Jim was gone a while. And after a while, which this is what varies. First, she says, you know, he was gone a while. And then she was like, oh, maybe it was like 15 minutes. Regardless, she decided to get out. It the- could be a while. Right. She decided to get out of the tub to, you know, be like, oh, maybe I should get changed. Go see what's going on Mm -hmm. inside their bathroom. They had they had one closet. So like like a walk in closet, which I totally get. One of the houses I've lived in before had a walk in closet in the bathroom. So Mm -hmm. it was attached um, to it. And that's where her stuff was. So she went in there to go change, get dried off all that good stuff. But while this was happening, we're going to start taking a turn for the worst. Oh, no. During this time while she was changing or whatever, that's when Jim got murdered. And conveniently, or maybe just not conveniently, depending on which side of camp you decide to choose on on this, Mm -hmm. she had a seizure supposedly the same time that the murder was happening. Oh, I mean, she did have a history. Yeah, she did have somewhat of a history. She, of course, wasn't able to hear, see, or even go help her husband. Did she say she was aware that it was happening? Oh, so she's just having the seizure and then she, yes. And I'll kind of, I'm sure, I think I said this later in my notes too, but I'll kind of interject here. She also said she doesn't remember anything because of the seizures, but Liz confirms this with her memory. So Mm. there's that. But then later her story changes that she remembers somebody tying her up that she cannot see and then seeing a woman. So I'll stop myself before I get too far ahead there. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, okay, so we're going to go ahead and we're going to fast forward to over, I'd say it's like 14 or so hours later. So it's now 4.30 p.m. the next day. Mm -hmm. And Jim's brother, Herman, and his family were coming to their house. They had been invited, which is interesting, by Sandy for a belated dinner with them for everybody to celebrate their anniversary. Okay. Which, you know, people had said was normal. They'd like go do their thing and then they'd do stuff with others later. Got it. 
Yeah. So that's not too like weird or anything. But of course, when they got there, they knocked on the door. Nobody answered because Jim's dead and she's tied up in a closet. Yeah. They noticed that the garage door was open. First, they didn't really think anything of it because, you know, from the outside, you you just are like, whatever, maybe they're doing something because mm-hmm. their cars were there, whatever. So Herman went into the house and he called out for them being like, hey, we're here, you know, no answer. So he's like, okay, that's weird. And his daughter even said to him, he, she's just like, dad, something feels off. She's like, I don't know what it is, but something just feels weird. And he's just like, at the moment, mm-hmm. brush it off. He's like, it's fine. Just come inside. Come on. And then as they were, you know, going to the living room to get settled to sit down and kind of just be like, wait for them, I guess. They started to hear Sandy yelling for help. Okay. Yes. Herman and his wife are actually the only people who saw the crime scene untouched and saw how Sandy was. Because, you know, like if you have a family member and that's what you're seeing, you're going to let them out. You're not going to be like, nope, hold Hold on. (laughs) I I need to get the cop here to. No, but they should have taken a picture. I mean, it sounds like it was in days of cell phone cameras. So, yeah, yeah, it was 2011. So, I mean, definitely they entered their room and that's where everything was. So first, of course, I'll go ahead and I'll tell you about Sandy. So Sandy was tied up in her bathroom closet and there was a chair propped up to like, I guess, lock her in. Oh, yes. So in case she broke free. Yes, exactly. I'll link the crime scene photos for you guys because they're really interesting to look at. Like I mentioned before, she was tied up. Her feet were tied up with a scarf. That was hers. And a purple tie was used for her arms, which was Jim's. So interesting enough, everything used was from in the house. Let's just note that. I guess if you were a murderer and you came into someone's house and you saw, like if you had been wearing the tie that night and obviously they'd been drinking, like maybe they came upon it or something. It's helpful, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. So Jim, of course, was found next. Mm -hmm. And in their actual bedroom in the master, they had a like a closet like off their actual bedroom. So they had two closets, essentially. Yeah, they're bougie. I told you. Oh, no, I'm just like, they're both in closets. Yes, they were both okay. in closets. Uh-huh. The weird thing about him was he had been tied up, which it was like super, super loose. It wasn't even like anything tight enough to like actually bind him. So mm-hmm. they think this happened maybe after whoever did it with the telephone cord. And then there was also a red rope tied like super, super loose across his chest. So like he could have gotten out of it if they if someone was trying to be like, oh, he got tied up, then murdered. No, that's not not a thing. Not what happened. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know. Just kind of weird. But she was tied up well enough to not be able to get out. I'll get to that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, actually, I'll tell you about that real quick. So basically she okay. so she had the seizure, all that stuff. And then she said she just slept which I guess is kind of normal. People have said like after she's had these episodes, she sleeps, but it's like it's normally four or five hours she'll sleep. Mm -hmm. So there's that too. So it's just, there's a lot, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of contradicting stuff with this case. It's really, really weird. Interesting. Yes. Okay. So we'll get back to Jim. So in total, he had more than 50 wounds and injuries. God damn. Yes. Most of those were stabs and cuts. The murder weapon was a six-inch chef's knife, so that's what was, was it used. Their chef knife. She said she can't remember that knife, and she doesn't think it was theirs because it didn't match her other stuff. So, don't mm. know. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh huh. This isn't as cut and dry as other cases we talk <laughs> about. So it's like a mind fuck a little bit, which is why I did it because I just I just couldn't stop researching it. It was awesome. So it's like yes. I know you kept texting me. Oh my god, this part. I'm like, don't tell me. 
Okay. He had also been beaten super badly over the head, which caused serious damage to his skull, brain, and all the facial bones. He was fucked up. Again. Yeah. But a lot of those wounds he had were defensive wounds. Another thing that's interesting is all of his wounds, all over 50 of them, were just the front of his body. None were the back. So he never turned his back to his attacker. Oh, that's mm-hmm. got to be fucked up for him. Right. He's dying. Yeah. And with all the wounds they checked out on him, it was hand-to-hand combat, obviously. I mean, if he's getting killed with a chef's knife, that, you know, makes sense. Totes. Yep. And on Sandra, or Sandy, excuse me, um, and through the crime scene photos, she had a little bit, she had some bruising on her left bicep. They were small bruises. So I don't know if you want to say, because this is purely my speculation, if it's like from like fingers, like, you know, pushing into her or anything. She had what looked like, I don't know how else to describe it besides like rope burn. Obviously, she was not tied up with rope, but like, you know, red from being tied up on her forearm. And then she had like a teeny, teeny scratch, which honestly, I don't think it's from this because like, you know, you scratch yourself all the time on her left hand. Okay. But besides that, nothing indicating she was in a hand-to-hand combat situation with her husband because obviously she's she's very petite as well. She was mm-hmm. like, I think she's like five feet tall. Or, like she's really small. And then it's like with the health stuff, she's really frail. And her yeah, husband- Yeah, I was say like mm-hmm. if she's had two hip replacements, she would be very like right. unstable. Right. Yeah. She even had a cane. So of <laughs> yeah, course- Yeah, they spent hours in a hot tub together. Uh-huh. See? You see? I told you. I told you. This shit is just like- <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. Anyway, okay. So of course his family panicked. You find someone you love dead. You find your brother dead, and you find your sister-in-law tied up like this. Holy fucking shit! So right. I think it was his wife had ran out to go get help from anybody from a neighbor, and the neighbor is the one who actually called nine one one to get the cops to come over. Okay. Herman said that Sandy was tied up so tight he could not undo the knots with his bare hands, that he had to get scissors to cut her free. He described it as they were like professionally tied. They were like insane knots. So not knots she could have tied herself. So there's a theory. Sorry, guys. This is probably just going to be like. Um, I asked a lot of questions. No, no, no. It's fine. Uh, the prosecutors, and I also believe the jury, found a way that she could have tied herself to make it tight enough. And there's a oh. YouTube. There is a YouTube video that they actually show that. So, of course. Related to this case? Like, Oh, yeah. It. Yeah, yeah. It's the prosecutor from this oh, case. Oh, damn. Yes. We should link that. I will link all the cool stuff for you guys. So, of course, at this point, after they've called 911 and all that good stuff, the cops show up. They start taking all the statements on what was happening and all, you know, try to mm-hmm. see what what the fuck. Pretty much Sandy told you or told them what I told you guys. So I don't really need to go back into that. Saying she had a hard time remembering exact details because of her seizure. She mentioned her body was sore all over, like her muscles, and that her head was killing her. And she said those were normal symptoms that she always had once she had had a seizure. Weird enough, though, of course, they offered her medical treatment from the first responders, and she refused. What? Mm-hmm. That's odd. Yes. And another odd thing in regards to the seizures is the lupus and all of that is documented, but with her primary doctor, seizures have not been mentioned or documented for, like, a long time. Oh. Her and her daughter insisted, yes, they were still happening, you know, X, Y, and Z. And, of course, Jim's not alive to vouch on that part. So shouldn't kill your alibi. 
Uh-huh. And so, of course, you know, she went and did an interrog- a long interrogation, which was like three hours long and all this stuff. And her daughter was questioned as well. And basically, she was just like emphasizing her mom's health and, you know, backing up her mom's story saying, hey, like, you know, this memory thing's legit. She's like, there's been times where she's had one. And then she'd be like, oh, hey, we should watch this movie tonight since we're relaxing at home. And she's like, mom, we just watched that like a few days ago. And she can't remember. Oh. And they tried to ask, is there anything we can do to get her to help her to remember more? Is there anything we can do to jog her memory? Does her memories come back? And basically, Liz was just like, no, I don't think so. Which is interesting, because as we go along, Sandy's story does have some inconsistencies with some stuff she remembers versus not. So got it. Yes. Now, the crime scene is a whole thing in itself, too just tons of weird stuff. So one, the blood from Jim was solely contained in the bedroom. It was in the closet. It was on this chair next to the bed. It was on a shelf. There was a safe in the closet too. All of that stuff. So it was everywhere. But it wasn't anywhere else in the house. Wasn't on any doorknobs. Wasn't any traced on any carpet anywhere else. Nothing. Is it in in the bathroom that was in the master bedroom? Is there any trace of blood in there? I'm glad you asked. The murder weapon was found in the jacuzzi tub. Mm-hmm. Because the water was still in there and there was a shirt in there, too, and a towel and a pillow sham, which this whole Sandy did it herself. They think she, which there's a video on this, too, which is interesting, used the sham to pull the chair to make it look like she was blocked in. But since Herman and his wife moved everything to open it, there's no confirmation if that's where the sham was. But the sham oh. was in the bathroom. So, okay. So the problem was they, you know, obviously they were trying to help, but they also messed with the crime scene, not on purpose. Which makes perfect sense because you're trying to help someone. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't know the condition of this person. Yes, some, I believe some law enforcement would want you just to call 911 and wait for them to get there and discover. But at the same time, like, what if Sandy was like bleeding out in there? Right, exactly. They didn't know. But right. it's very strange to me that there was no traces of DNA anywhere else, not even on the doorknobs. It's weird, but there's always theories where people like come... Right, like where people come, they're wearing stuff that they can contain the blood in and then they just change and leave. I mean. Exactly. Yeah. So like there's tons of theories. Plus it was like over 14 hours from when it happened. So there's so much you can argue. You can argue that if you think there really was home invaders or whoever killed him, Mm -hmm. they could have done that. And then other people will argue they're like, well, they're in Houston. They could have drove to Dallas and she could have dumped whatever and had time to clean up. So and then get herself in there or if she had help, which since I I personally think is a good possibility because she was so like such a frail state could have could have had help. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, especially like if she was part of it, she could have cleaned up and maybe she did too good of a job of cleaning up. Mm -hmm. But then there are also people who that have been known to clean up their murder sites. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it could have been someone who was quote unquote professional Yep. When I heard him say that was a professional knot, that put hitman into my head, which is not too far fetched because there's plenty of cases where women have hired hitmen to kill their husbands, which, you know, totally. still, yeah, which would, you right. know, still make her not innocent. So a couple other weird things was that her purse was dumped onto the bed because, you know, home intruders, but all of her credit cards and money was still there. Nothing was taken from her purse. And their dresser drawers at first glance looked like they were rummaged through, like they were all ripped open and stuff. But when the cops did a closer look, everything was still folded. Nothing was touched. All the clothes were still there. That's so weird. Right. This next one I kind of have an issue with 
they say there's no forced entry, but it's like, well, the garage door was open, so... Right, and a lot of people can hack garage doors if you get oh, like, yeah. a generic one, and they could just open it, and if these people were known, obviously the door from their house to the garage was unlocked. Right, and I know even like in some houses, there is no lock on that door going into your house. So as long as they could get in the garage, they're good to go to do whatever. Right, true. And in the original police report, they said nothing else had been taken from the home at all, which, of course, for a home invasion, you would assume unless they were there just to kill, there should have been something taken. I mean, unless what happened is that, I mean, I'm just theorizing. Oh, no, you're good. Somebody came in and was in the middle of ransacking the room or started to ransack the room. And then he comes out and then there's, but I don't understand like how big is this master suite that she didn't even hear anything. That's that's the thing. He was maybe 30 feet away if that. So it's like, here, I will grab the link real quick for you. And you can look at these crime scene photos. I'm excited. So, okay, grabbing these crime scene photos for Jessica and I'll post it too. It's from the one of the news stations in Houston, which also, if you'd like additional stuff to listen to on this case, they have a podcast called Missing Pieces, which is super interesting because they actually had like, they had interviews with everybody, including Sandy. Super, super interesting. It helped me out a lot with kind of getting to know her a little more because of course, most of these articles, they're going to go one way or the other. Either she did it or she didn't. Kind of thing. So I was like, you know what? I always, you know, we talked about this too, like the psychology of it. If there's a way to kind of listen to them and see what they were thinking, feeling, all of that, like makes it more Um, interesting. Her bathroom is dirty. Oh, man. I already sent, I was sending it to you. There you go. But if it's all together, then I'm, I'm here for that. Yep. That's the article. It has a slideshow of all of them. So you can kind of get the visual. Mm -hmm. While I'm telling you about the rest of that. And you can just give me your ideas because there's also some other sketchy stuff that'll come up later. Um, I like her bruise looks like something I would do, like, I don't know, bumping into Mm -hmm. like a counter. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, no, like wounds from someone she was attacking, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. But if she's in the middle of having a seizure when that person is tying her up. Right. She might not. Yeah. Mm hmm. All right. So, of course, like I said, she started to remember some things. And one thing was, like I said, the people, which is weird to me that she did not mention that to the cops later. She did not. She just asked her sister-in-law. She was like, hey, was anybody else with you guys when you came over? And she was like, no. And that's when she went ahead and, you know, she told them she was like, well, I remember seeing this Hispanic lady that was in her mid to late 20s in a burgundy shirt. And I didn't know who she was. And she just looked pissed, basically. And so maybe that's one of the intruders. We don't Mm. know because nothing ever came of that. Another thing, too, once she started to get her memories back was she remembered when they were leaving CVS that she saw a car following them. And this car followed them all the way up until their street, which at that point you have to turn right or left. And they Mm -hmm. went one way and the car went the other. Oh, And that was it. And there really wasn't too much of a description on what the car looked like or anything like that. And I know on any footage, the only thing they could see at the CVS was to confirm, yes, Jim went in, but no confirmation on being followed. It was apparent that they were going after her mom. Liz was like, screw this. These people aren't really doing enough. I'm going to do my own type of investigation. Okay. So she went back to her parents' house. And at this time, ever since the night of the murder, Sandy 
just did not stay there anymore, which, hello, I get it. So Liz went back to the house and she said she found a backpack that was not previously reported. It was full of electronics. It had an iPod and all kinds of stuff and jewelry from their house. Oh, so like someone tried to steal something and then it's left. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And then she also figured out there was some missing prescriptions that belonged to her mom, such as hydrocodone. So like hard stuff. Okay. So she's like, the person was taking opioids. Mm-hmm. And then, but they were her mom's. Her mom was taking No, them. that's what I mean. Like oh, the they were person who was yes. stealing was taking the good shit. Uh-huh. Exactly. And then also they noticed there was a brand new TV they had bought like maybe a month or so ago, which they still had the receipt for. And that was gone. Okay. First, the cops tried to say that Liz planted the backpack, but they went back and reviewed the photos. I don't know which one it's in, but I guess in one of the photos, they actually saw the same backpack in the background. So it was there. Okay, I'm going to scan through. What's interesting with this was there was two traces of DNA on it, one female and one male. None of it matched Sandy. Same with the DNA on the murder weapon. None of it matched Sandy or other family members. But I remember reading, I can't remember where, where it was. They never got Liz's DNA. Yeah, I was going to ask about Liz and mm-hmm. her, her relationship with her parents. And yeah, yeah I'm trying to find mm-hmm. the backpack in the crime photos. Well, of course, like for her doing her own investigation stuff, she was and still is a huge act- activist for her mom. Makes but sense. yeah, I just thought it was interesting. They never got her DNA. So I'm not totally giving her off the hook either. I mean, I for don't me, anytime someone doesn't kind of rule themselves out as a suspect, like automatically. Mm-hmm. But to me, that means they're guilty and they don't want their evidence on file. But I mean, we'll talk about my case later, who the (laughs) fucker did the opposite. Yeah. You know. Liz also made a police report with one of the rental properties that they managed because it had been trashed. There was blood on the walls. It looked like someone punched a hole in one of the walls. There was knife marks, all this stuff. But super... Yes, but super sketchy. The police report apparently just decided it was abandoned and it was just hot inside and maybe there were squatters or something and that's it. Okay. Yeah. It was actually not until 2014 that Sandy was indicted for Jim's murder. Okay. That's a bit. Yeah. The way they found out was Liz had been checking the mail for her mom. Like I said, she wasn't staying at the house. Mm Mm-hmm. And their mailbox was actually full of flyers and letters from attorneys everywhere offering their services for her trial. Yeah. But Liz hadn't, or not Liz, I mean, Sandy hadn't been arrested. No, she hadn't been arrested yet, I guess. Oh, Jesus. The whole thing is just weird. So they were like, what the fuck? So then she started calling around and finding out what was going on and all of that stuff. Like I said, she hadn't been staying home. She stayed with like family members and some of her really close friends because they still lived in the area. And one of her friends that she stayed with the longest, her name is Patsy. And it was one of her like childhood friends from like elementary school. So they had been friends for a super, super long time. Her and her husband said that she'd usually stay about three or four days at a time. She'd go stay Mm -hmm. somewhere else, you know, but she'd at least stay weekly. She'd always be back. She basically like their guest room basically turned into her room. Got it. What was kind of weird was even from, you know, right after she said overall, Sandy was doing pretty good. She'd have her bad days, but this was more in regards, it seemed to her health rather than like being depressed or sad or anything like that, which I found kind of weird. I've dealt with death before and I know how to compartmentalize, but people could always tell that I was sad. Right. Exactly. And then it still took a while for the trial to even happen. It, this didn't even happen till 2017. So pretty recent. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was two years ago. Yeah. They had tons and tons of issues even getting it to court. 
the case was resent in 21 times. What the fuck? There was a bunch of different reasons, but the main ones were due to DNA testing, the defense needing more time, and then the case actually went through four different prosecutors. Got it. So the final prosecutor who ended up doing the trial was Colleen Barnett. And even still today, she's extremely confident that the jury made the right decision that Sandy is guilty. Got it. She acknowledges the case doesn't really make much sense. Like, you know, there's not really a clear motive or anything because they were so well off and all of that stuff. And it was just a circumstantial case. But even though she had no motive, quote unquote, the evidence proved that there was no actual burglar or enemy just from the research they did through the house, the research they did with their family, things like that. Like there was nobody who, you know, outside from the open eye wanted to kill Jim. He was a well-liked guy by everybody. Right. And so she thinks that Sandy had been planning this for a long time because, of course, crimes of passion, they do it because of a fight. They do it because of this, you know, and then it's just like it's usually a lot more messy for them to get caught. True. Very messy. Yes. Another interesting was the stab wounds weren't very deep. And because she was so tight, like, you know, small and not very strong, that would kind of make sense. So like I said, it was a six inch chef knife and a lot of the wounds were like two inches deep. So very like superficial stabbing, not like full force stabbing. Right, exactly. And they assume that some of the wounds like were near the chair. And then when he started to fight back, that's when they got to the closet. So kind of rustle and stuff and head over there. And what's interesting about the closet and what also kind of supported that it was Sandy that was his attacker. He actually had a loaded handgun on their like top shelf thing in their closet and he never touched it. He never reached for it. It was still in the same place. So maybe even though his wife was attacking him, he didn't want to kill her. Right. He tried to stop her. And I'll get into this in a second because they actually talked to not the blood spatter expert that was on the case, but a like Mm -hmm. like an outsourced one. So that way they could get an unbiased opinion on everything. So one of his wounds was like an artery got cut in his thumb. So that like squirted over to this chair. That's another that kind of shows he was trying to like stop her, grab her, grab whoever, if you Mm -hmm. don't think it was Sandy kind of thing. So now she was interviewed on that podcast I mentioned earlier, the Missing Pieces podcast. So I thought this was actually super interesting to kind of have this outside perspective because it kind of helped my brain with wrapping things around like what may have happened, you know? Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. The type of knife used would have been a lot easier for her to use and not have it slip out of her hand or hurt herself because of the kind of like, I guess, grip. The grip on it. Yeah. So it would help because, of course, like it would damage him and stuff if he's trying to grab the blade because hello. But Mm -hmm. like it'd be the easiest kind of knife to kill somebody with. (laughs) Oh, okay. Lack of better words there. Good to know. Exactly. There's a knife out there for that. Yes. So, you know, that would obviously make sense. She had to be super close to him to attack him because hello, Mm -hmm. knife. Okay, so like how the blood was all in the closet and everything, because it was like, Mm -hmm. I know you looked at the pictures, it's like on the shelf, it's on some of the walls, and of Mm -hmm. course, the floor and stuff. That is where she says she's confident in that when, you know, she got Jim to the ground, and then she was on top of him. So Uh, she's stabbing him, you know, it's splattering around kind of thing. And basically, you know, with that also, that would mean her feet are like, you know, if she's like straddled him or whatever, her feet are behind her and they're pointed out. So less chance for blood like on the soles of her feet. So because okay. she had so much time, you know, she could have walked around her room to help wipe it off some and then she could have jumped right in the shower. 
for all right. So that whole like bathtub area could have been staged. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Because what was interesting, so this is obviously a little off topic from the blood analysis was a juror member mentioned he's like, yeah, they were supposedly in like in this tub having like a bubble, sexy bubble bath situation for two Mm -hmm. hours. But if you look in that photo, that water is clear. If you took a bubble bath or whatever, it would be at least a little bit cloudy or gray or something like it's just like someone turned on some water and threw it in there. True, but like a jacuzzi, Ish. you're not supposed to use. Well, it's I not mean, really, if she said I mean, like bubble bath, then that makes sense. But but if you look at it, though, it's not legit a jacuzzi. It's just yeah. like it's a the it's a tub with jets. jets. Yeah. 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 Which I mean, you know, I used to have one and like that was like when my daughter was small and we put I know you probably shouldn't have but we put bubble bath in there and it was fine so maybe I shouldn't have but whoops yeah and then again another thing she pointed out like I did earlier you know when they found him his ankles and his upper body was bound but it was so loosely tied that you could have easily have stepped out of it to like kick your offender or do something to fight back Mm -hmm. so she thinks that that was staged as well as far as tying him up just towards the end which you would think with all the time she had, she would have taken the time to really. I mean. But also that part doesn't make any sense because if he's mm-hmm. already dead. Yeah. Why tie him up? Good question. I don't know, man. And then, of course, like I said, they the cops at first thought maybe he got attacked in that chair that was next to their bed. Mm-hmm. But uh, the blood expert was like, no, like there was an artery that was cut in his hand. So it would have squirted onto that and how it landed on the chair and stuff. Like mm-hmm. it ended up there by pressure and which is from an artery. So he got caught or cut, excuse me, from putting his hand out or trying to block it, whatever kind of thing. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's why a lot of people get defensive wounds in their hands when it's a when it's yeah. something like this. Yeah. Okay. So, so, yep. So again, she agrees with she had such a long window. She could have easily have staged whatever. She could have got everything set up how she wanted. She could have got mm-hmm. up, got rid of any bloody clothes. And any other like incriminating evidence that would have made her 100% guilty. And another weird thing, you know, a bunch of stuff was turned over and everything, but there was a candle that was still burning that was just upright unharmed. So it was just kind of weird because it was like an area like on one of the desks or something where it definitely should have gotten knocked over because of how everything else looked, but it didn't. Mm -hmm. Weird, weird shit. Okay. Now, with the jury, there was a lot of stuff that they were like, this is bullshit. This gave them like, they're like, I don't know. They didn't know which way to go at first, that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. But the prosecution had some theories. One was that, you know, it was due to their religion because they were in such a conservative sect of their religion that maybe she killed Jim because she wanted out of the marriage because if she got divorced, she would be like shamed and shunned, essentially. Okay. But of course, you know, jurors were like, no, like with that kind of thing, they're like, well, there's always a trace of marital problems somewhere. Don't know where, but somewhere. And there wasn't with no one. So they're like, whatever. They kind of whatever. And the next thing was that she killed him for his life insurance. But like I said, they were super well off financially, so she wouldn't have needed it. Plus, it was a 250000 policy from his work. But the thing was, it hadn't been touched. It hadn't been increased. Nothing. None of that sketchy stuff. So the jurors didn't really kind of buy into that part either. Got it. Now, there was three things that they did focus on, which helped them decide if she was guilty or not. And this is what stood out to them. Okay. Number one was that she kept changing her story. 
She would change timelines, the stuff with the people. First, there wasn't anybody, and then there is, and, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. The next thing was that the blood was only in the bedroom, in the bathroom and stuff, but, like, just in their master suite, essentially. Right, where she was found. Yes, nowhere else. And then the last thing was there was no forced entry, which, of course, we already kind of talked about that. Like, that one, I'm just like, I wouldn't count that as a valid thing because of the garage. But... Another thing with it going to the theory that she staged it was there was a neighbor that they talked to and he was working on his motorcycle or something. So he's like, I had my garage open. And he's like, you know, I don't remember it being open when I first went out there. He's like, but when I because like, I don't know if normally the guy worked nights or something, but he worked like well into the night. And then he was like wrapping it up early the next morning. He was like, but then I he's like at like 7 a.m. or something. He's like, the garage was definitely open. And I thought it was weird, but I didn't want to go bother them because it was so early in the morning. Okay. Yeah, so he should have. Right. (laughs) But that's another thing where they think she staged it. Exactly. She was found guilty. And this is what I think is kind of funny. These people like this whole thing. There's so much contradictory stuff. They didn't think she was an actual danger to society, though. So is she convicted of first degree murder? Yes, she was. But so see, that's what's so this whole thing is just so fucking weird. <laughs> like, I don't get it. Yeah, they well, did. First uh, degree is that you, I guess, like the difference between that and like second degree or manslaughter or whatever is that first degree is premeditated. And right. watching what, my episodes yeah. and stuff, they say that it's not even like I used to think that premeditation was like you'd have to think about it for months or right. even a couple of days it's actually can be minutes Mm -hmm. you just have to be able to think of the murder reflect Mm -hmm. on it and then act okay so I guess in that case that would make sense why they would say that but it's just like to me it's like someone killing their husband unless it's self-defense or something like that that's different I don't know I just I just kind of like was like but you're saying she's a murderer but nah she's fine like (laughs) okay okay anyways due to her age um, and it did kind of bounce back and forth with some of the juror members some wanted to do like the most they could but Mm -hmm. what they finally agreed on was 27 years in prison okay she get parole she will have the chance for parole Mm -hmm. after I believe it was 10 years but still, at that point, she'll be pretty old. She'll be almost 70. So 70 is still alive. I mean, yes, that's still alive. So yes. But even with the conviction, like Sandy still has 100% support from her family and Jim's family. Oh, wow. So they think that everyone she's thinks innocent. she's innocent. Yes. Which is crazy because, you know, as an outsider, obviously I don't fully know her, but it's like, I don't know if I'm 100% convinced, but mm-hmm. crazy shit happens. And there's still a part of me that would believe could believe it too because everyone in the family wrote letters to the judge and into the courts just asking if they'd consider a retrial and what's interesting is too Liz doesn't even have Jim's remains her friend Patsy does what yes and Patsy said Sandra asked her to watch him until they could make permanent plans okay I don't know her friends and her and the families both agree there's no physical evidence and there's so much doubt that they need another look at this, that there's no way Sandy killed him. So and then they all rotate weekly to all go. So that way she has a visitor every week. Oh, wow. Yeah. And what's interesting enough, too, is like she's still obviously in prison, but they've transferred her like just recently, the end of 2018 to a place so she could actually get the proper medical care for all of her stuff because, you know, she has all those conditions. So Either way, that's good, I guess. 
Makes sense. Yeah. And then currently they are working on an appeal, of course, for her trial. And I know I mes- mentioned this to you that there was an article recently that the uh, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but the female lawyer from Making a Murderer Ooh. is actually going to be taking a look at everything and meeting with the Houston Police Department and all that stuff to exonerate the evidence to see what they can do, I guess, kind of thing, which is crazy. And the main things that they also need to bring up to the appeal, because, you know, with appeals, you can't bring more evidence. You just have to prove that you need an appeal. Like you need to be seen again. You have to, yeah, (laughs) you have to take the proof. You have to take the evidence that's already there. And we should do a making of a making of a murderer episode. But like, if you've watched the second season of it, you have to take the evidence that has already been presented and show how it's inconsistent or incorrect. So... Mm -hmm. Which I definitely think if they get a good judge, because if you don't know, appeals go before a, I believe it's a board of like three or so judges uh, so it's to, like a to decide, circuit, right? Yeah. They don't do a jury. I know that. No. So you go before essentially like a Supreme Court type situation. Mm-hmm. It's not like the United States Supreme Court, but it's like the circuit, blah, blah, blah. And so they go and then you have to appeal to each of the judges essentially. And then exactly. the judges vote, which I, in a way, feel like in an appeal case is is fair because they're not appealing a jury's decision. They're appealing the judge who ruled over the jury. Exactly. So their main arguments are that the evidence is legally insufficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree with that. According to the defense, she wasn't given a fair trial and that Sandy was scapegoated by an inept investigation and then jury misconduct which that I'm kind of like, meh, because basically what happened was something got taken out of context. What got taken out of context? So in that, sorry, I keep like, pl- you're welcome for plugging that podcast. It was awesome. On missing pieces, <laughs> <laughs> on missing pieces they interviewed one of the juror members um, mm-hmm. and he said they were just having a discussion. And this was like when they were still going through the trial and everything. There's like someone had just said like offhandedly, well, God only knows who's actually guilty of this. Like this is insane. So right. that got turned into, well, they didn't even know. And but according to them, they, they're still all confident that, yes, she was guilty with what they were presented. And something else that was kind of interesting that I think will help with the appeal is that apparently the lead investigator was sketchy as fuck. So, oh, yes. He was actually fired later for another murder case he was on because he had backdated a search warrant. So he's fucking oh, with wow. paperwork. Yes. And. In regards to Sandy's case, with the evidence, something that never got tested for DNA or anything was Sandy's socks that she was wearing that night. And the reason was that for that was they were stuffed in his desk drawer. He never even turned them in. What? I don't know why, but he never turned them in. That seems like a big piece of evidence. Yes, because she was wearing them the night of the fucking murder. (laughs) Right, right. That's like, Mm -hmm. I feel like that is probably a key piece to either nail and coffin she did it or be like if she was wearing these socks this would have picked up some sort of trace elements of this exactly and then a couple other weird things with him was like they didn't even bother keeping or i guess retrieving the 911 call and they never follow yeah they didn't bother getting it i guess so there's that and then also they never followed up with the neighbors who called 911 or Mm -hmm. herman or any of his family the only people who saw them They never followed up with them. There's 
so many inconsistencies both sides. Like I can see it both ways still at this point. I think if they do an appeal and they are able to go back to trial and all of that good stuff, like there's stuff that's not been uncovered. That's what I, that's my gut feeling with this. Makes sense. Like I said, it's kind of like, did she physically kill him? Personally, I don't think so just because of the physical aspect on everything. But does that make her not guilty? No, Mm -hmm. she could have got somebody. Even though they said there was no marriage problems, nothing. You're not going to advertise that you're so pissed off at your husband, you're going to get a hit ban. Well, no, but most of the time, (laughs) like you would think that someone would see something. Now, I'm going to throw something out into the Mm -hmm. spooksterverse. Mm -hmm. That's the first time I've used that word. I don't know what it means. Mm -hmm. What if it is Liz? And Jim did something that pissed off Liz. Mm -hmm. And I mean, because here's the thing. She knows a lot about yes about Liz, yes. about her mom's health issues. So she could have put something in the house, in their food, in mm-hmm. something, mm-hmm. and the mom could have had a reaction mm-hmm. to it. It could be something that, you know, maybe Jim hadn't been attacked yet, something like that. Maybe he was downstairs with Liz, and then she got out to go find them, and her mom had a, you know, had something. They never got her DNA, so that woman's dna could easily be hers right i mean it should show some sort of profile that matches both Mm -hmm. sandy and jim's right so i mean if it doesn't match either of them definitively if it matched them somewhat maybe then Mm -hmm. or it could just be some like there are fucked up people in this world and it's yeah. a nice neighborhood and maybe the garage door, like someone had a clicker and just kept clicking and that's the door that opened and they left their door unlocked and Jim caught them. And then she said that she had a seizure. She could be me- remembering things wrong. Right. Like maybe she got out of the bathtub quicker than she thought right. and went to see what happened and went into the closet and then the someone attacked her and mm-hmm. maybe actually didn't. Maybe she didn't actually have a seizure. Maybe she got hit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just, like I said, it's just a wild case. And I know it's completely different than what you're going to tell them now, but it's just. But there are a lot of similarities uh, to this. Yeah. The changing of the stories. Mm -hmm. It's just crazy. But yeah, I'm definitely going to keep an eye on this one. And I feel like we'll have to have a part two once there's an. Definitely. Once there's an update. Yes, for the appeal and all of that good stuff. So that'll be cool. And that's the end of my case for Jaded Lovers. Catch us tomorrow. We're going to have part two with Jessica's case for you guys. And it is fucking amazing as well. And lots of gore and fucked upness. So we will. gore and fucked upness. Fuck yes. So we will catch you tomorrow with part two of this episode. Bye guys. Bye.